0: Welcome everybody to episode 33 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. It is a pleasure to have you uploading this episode, whether you are a one-off listener or a frequent listener. I sincerely appreciate your support. This episode's interviewee had a varied football career here in Australia and in Italy. Des Girardi grew up in the Illawarra's northern suburbs and played the majority of his junior football with Coromel Junior Soccer Club and the Illawarra representative teams. He then transitioned from the Illawarra representative teams to the Wollongong Wolves junior teams. After a couple of seasons, Des then joined the Wolves youth team. From this point, Des then had experiences with the AIS, FIFA Under-17 World Cup with Australia, Empoli in Italy, and then back to Australia in the A-League, and here in Wollongong. His time in the game had many parts, some of this time being complex and challenging. Articulate and thoughtful, Des has remained genuine, pragmatic and positive about his time in the game. His transition to post-football life has been successful and he is a credit to himself and his family. I was thoroughly engrossed by Des's thoughts and journey and I hope you enjoy the interview as much as I did conducting it. My sincere respect and appreciation go out to Des and his family for allowing me into their home. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here in the beautiful suburb of Wollongong and I'm here with a very special guest, Des Drowdy. Des, welcome.
1: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
0: Des, um, I've been, uh, I think we uh, spoke or messaged over Facebook and, and through your work, uh, it's taken some time, so thank you very much for allowing me into your home, and um, respect goes out for giving your time uh, to my passion project, so thank you. My pleasure. Um, let's, let's go back to, you were born in 86, and then um, even early on, Ned, um, before we talk about your, your first uh, kick of the, the round ball with Russell Vale, um, talk a bit about your. Was that your first memory of, of football? Um,
1: no, probably not. I guess my first memory of football was was going to Brennan Park to watch my dad play when he was playing with the Wolves, and um, obviously I was I was involved quite heavily um, on match days in terms of being a ball boy and and uh, going in the change rooms with the players and whatnot. So. Yeah, you know, my first experience around football was, I guess, observing the camaraderie that comes with being in a team, and um, and not just any team, being in the, the the team of of the city, I guess, which was which was really good. And um, you know, they have some fond memories of those days back when you know the the likes of Mike Holleyfield and um, Ray Valestra and all these sort of guys were playing with the Wolves. So it was it was good.
0: And uh, for the people that. Um you know, there are a few listeners that uh, listen outside of the Illawarra to the podcast. Your, your dad's name? Uh, Robert Drowley. And uh, he also, uh, apart from playing in a cell, um, would be known in the area for playing with Ferry Meadow and then coaching with Paul Kemble and the like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So dad had, a, a, I guess, a successful enough stint with the Wolves. Um, probably wasn't there for a, a very long time. I think he might have played five or six seasons. Um. Back then, when he finished up with the Wolves, he had a bad, uh, a bad injury up at Marconi, I believe it was, where he broke his leg. And when he came back, um, there was a few changes at the club, so he he was offered a role to go and coach Port Kembla, uh, which he did. And um, and yeah, the rest, I guess, his history. He continued to play up until the age of probably forty six, believe it or not. Whether it be uh, just social social football and, and the amateurs and. Um, and coached a number of teams in the in the Premier League as well, as long as, long, as well as uh, being an assistant to Larry Gaffney at Victory. Uh,
0: so, do you think um, <clears throat> those early days? Um, I guess you're potentially always going to play some football, but do you think um, that sort of sowed the seeds for your passion for the game?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know, coming from an ethnic background, football was. Uh, a very big passion for a lot of the i guess the europeans that were out here at that time and you know those early you know wednesday 3am 4am wake-ups to watch the champions leagues and things like that um as a young kid uh, dad had come and wake me and my brother up and and we'd sit up and watch you know the juventus play or whoever it may be and and obviously being um involved to some degree with with dad and his football you know attending training sessions and games and um, you know, it was it was probably written in the skyline at that point that that's that I'd be uh, following that path.
0: And in terms of uh, organised football, was as a three year old in in the late eighties with Russell, was your first memory of, of the game in that sense? Yeah,
1: it was a funny one actually. I, I wasn't I wasn't uh, in the team. Um, I was there on game day and they were short on players. And um, I believe the first game that I played, they threw me in goals. And, um, you know, being a three-year-old, I, I, I just w- would have had no idea what was going on. But, um, yeah, I think I played a couple of games with Russell Vale back then because my older brother was playing for him. Um, and then we, we moved on and went and played at Wanoona Sharks. And I spent maybe two years at Wanoona when I was a So junior.
0: how did you find that um, once you really uh, sort of grew another year or so uh, playing at Wanoona down there at Ocean Park?
1: Yeah, it was... It was I mean, it's funny. I, rem- I remember it quite vividly. Um, <clears throat> I used to get very frustrated because my dad was a coach, and um, you know, I was so competitive, and there were certain things that um, you know during a training session would would really frustrate me, and it'd frustrate me to tears. Um, you know, even little things like um, you know, we'd play five-a-side, and, and dad'd throw a bib to me, and I, I didn't want to wear a bib because I thought they were ugly, so I'd cry and. <laughs> Um, but, you know, it was, it was at that stage, you know, I guess I had to harness my um, competitiveness and, and learn to enjoy doing what I was doing. And, um, you yeah, know, it took some time because I was a, I was a little hothead. And, um, and, you know, my dad, although he was quite successful in football, was never one to sort of uh, push me in a way or, or, you know, try and drive me down a certain path. He just let me do my own thing. And... Um, and that frustrated me as well because I wanted I wanted him to be more involved at times, and um, I think being a father now I understand why he did that because he obviously believed that it's best to let your child make the decision of what they want to do. And um, yeah, so they were good times, good times.
0: And you also um, spent a few years there at um, in between, sort of five and ten, with uh, Coromandel Junior Soccer Club as well.
1: Yeah, so Coromandel really. I guess, you know, although I did play a little bit with Russell Almanoon, I guess Coromal was my my junior club. Um, And that's where I really learned to enjoy my football and have fun. Uh, Made some really, really good friends, lifelong friends. Um, You know, became very close with with a number of people um, through that period. Uh, My cousin was playing with us. uh, Jay Lucas was was there and and we became very, very close, the three of us. Um, You know, and going through the the system there at Coromal we had you know a number of different coaches and, and good people um you know great club and we we just you know really really enjoyed ourselves and that's where i, I really started to think to myself that you know this is what i want to do um and i got to a point where i used to have my my kit ready on a friday night you know boots would be polished and <laughs> um would be you know early early bedtime to for eight o'clock kickoff or something on a saturday so it was it was good and time.
0: and memorial uh, memorial parks a great ground um, even as an adult so um, you know it must have been great to play on there and the outside ground as well
1: yeah I think as a as a junior you always you know we played on the outside ground originally and I think it was uh, around under under tens maybe I think every now and then they got a game on on the, on the main pitch and. You know when, when we we're sort of seven eight and you know are starting to think oh we might get a chance to get on the main pitch and it was a really big thing it was a big deal and um you know i remember i remember the first time we got on the pitch and and it was just you know we just thought we were king of the castle you know it was unbelievable to get on that pitch and it was always you know well groomed as well so um yeah you know, really exciting and, and memorial park is is obviously a special place for a lot of people in yeah, definitely. in that area and um a lot of big games have been played there, and it's a it's a you know it's a it's a field that a lot of people have fond memories of.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. So uh, at that point in time, uh, and like you said, you really had a I guess a, a sort of appetite or wanting to do more in the game, and really loved it. So it, that was obviously translated into your skills, um, and and that meant that you tried out for the Illawarra representative team.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, growing up I, I was I was never technically the most gifted um, and and that was that was something I was probably aware of. I knew that I wasn't, you know, there was guys like Jay Lucas who technically were just phenomenal at, at a young age and, um, you know, I was never technically gifted so I knew that I had to, I guess, bring something else to the table which was probably, you know, just the competitiveness, the drive, the determination um, and work ethic. Um, I always... Pride myself on on working super hard, um, and yeah, we uh, we trialed out for the um, Illawarra side, and um, I was fortunate enough to to make the team. And actually, um, from memory, I think I played uh, in the Illawarra side a year a year above, so okay. I, I, I doubled up. Um, <clears throat> so the first year um, I played with some of the older guys, and um, Alan Thompson was the coach. Yep. Um and I, you know, really just really enjoyed that. And I think I probably learned a lot in that year because I was younger than everybody else. And then um and then I stayed back again, I think it was the elevens, um and then uh yeah, stayed back again and played that next year with the elevens and then obviously the new boys came through like Jacob and Kieran Dean and Lachlan and Tynan Diaz and Ruben Tadkovich and those likes. Um so yeah, that it was a it was a good experience for me that first year playing um, up a, up an age group and then um, and then being able to stay back and and play again um, that second year.
0: And and what about that sort of transition to junior representative football, where you're, you're pretty much going away every other second week and, and playing against you know better teams than in the local league? Did you uh, sort of cherish that opportunity as well?
1: Yeah, we <coughs> we had, we always had a pretty strong uh, youth system in this region. Um so we were always competitive and even at, at that age, um you know, we'd go up to Sydney and play all different teams and um you know, we were really competitive. Um so it was it was a, an eye opener for us to go and play against, you know, good quality elite players at our, at our age in different areas and see how they do things and and some of the fields and and training setups that we got to experience were really good um you know you look at them today and they're probably mediocre but as yep. a young kid yep. there you know it's a it's an experience um so i think the the whole the whole representative thing was was a really good foundation particularly for me um you know to decide that yeah, this is where i want to be and this is what i want to
0: do so after representing for a couple of years there at the Illawarra representative team, it, it then transitioned to the Wollongong Wolves junior set-up. Um, what was the feeling amongst yourself and and the guys that you then with the Wolves?
1: Yeah, that was <clears throat> that was unreal, I guess, because you know, as a young kid, and football's changed a lot uh, today, uh, particularly in this area, because as a young kid, all we aspired to do was play for the Wolves. Yep. Um you know growing up the wolves was the pinnacle um, of football here in this region and uh, I don't think there was a game that we missed at Brandon Park um, you know the players at the time we looked upon it as being absolute superstars um, and you know that first year um, standing in the change rooms at Brandon Park getting our, our track suits um, sized up was just phenomenal because we had you know we had the wolves kit on and it, it was the it was the proper logos and Yeah, they're they're just the little things that make you, you know, just tick. And um, and it was really exciting. So, you know, that first jersey um, that you put on, um, you know, has the Umbro symbol, and and, you know, you just think to yourself, this is unreal.
0: And in terms of, I guess, uh, most of the because you're playing with Jacob, and I've spoken to him previously. A lot of those guys continued the way through that strong team that you had. But um, was it a bit better playing on Brandon Park at home games and whatnot.
1: Oh, absolutely! I think um, <clears throat> as we as we got a little bit older, um, you know, playing at Brandon Park was uh, again similar to Coromandel. You know, you, you always want to play on the main pitch, and we yeah. typically played played on the outside pitches. Um, it wasn't until we got a little bit older that we had the opportunity to play on the main pitch and, and that was a big deal, you know, even if it was training on the main pitch or, or playing on the main pitch, um, you know, Brandon Park, um, it was an icon in terms of a football stadium here in Illawarra, but again, you know, looking at some of the, the stadiums that are out there today, it's probably, um, you know... It's, well, it is very outdated. or was very outdated, but yeah. um as a young kid, you know, you, you see past all that, and you just look at the the, the magical uh, experiences that you have there, and it, and it becomes this this
0: bigger thing in your mind,
1: huge colosseum, you know, and it's it's it was unreal. It
0: was and unreal. Uh, I guess, of, uh, of course, that you know, because your dad was um playing a few years before that, and and you had some taste of it being a ball boy at. You know, had a connection already as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then just, you know, I guess back then, you know, you'd probably get five or six thousand people at the ground, and you know, five or six thousand people at Brandon Park was was a good atmosphere. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember we played uh, Adelaide City um, in in one of the finals, and um, I think Costa City scored a double. Or there might have been twelve and a half thousand people there, and, and the atmosphere was just electric. Um, and yeah, you know, that that's that's a, a memory that that I'll always remember. Um, you know, and, and I've been to some some big football games around the world, but um, you know, no doubt that one of those games there, or particularly that game there, is, still stays in my mind.
0: Yeah, when you've got something in your backyard and and it's uh, people that you know and people that you've supported, it, it makes a difference, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So you then um, you know you had a, a three or four years there in those late sort of. 90s early 2000s where you're still learning and, and playing and then um you then transition to the the Wollongong Wolves youth team as a 15 and 16 year old um how did you find that because it's like you know yourself um probably more than than a lot of people that the percentages of people that sort of keep going up the tiers is gets lower and lower and lower mm. so um it must have been a fulfilling feeling to have that happen
1: yeah it was i think um you know, I might have been 15 when I was selected in the youth team. Um, I'd just finished the season with the 17s um, because there was no 16s anymore, so at 15 I was playing under 17s. And Eddie Tesoro was coaching the youth team and, um, yeah, I was selected in that youth team and was fortunate enough to play, oh, I might have been four months, five months, with the youth team. Um, and that in itself was, was an unbelievable experience for me. Um, you know, again... You'd have the odd senior player drop back and and play in the in the team and you got to train side by side with the first team at times and um, you know have some some trial games in- house trial games with the first team and it was just an awesome experience at my age and you know I guess like anything um it really i guess the intensity of the training um was a lot faster than what I was used to and, and it gave me the ability to, to, I guess, step up and understand where I needed to be to play at that level. Um, and it really just put me in good stead for, for what was to come next.
0: And in terms of some of the, the guys that you were playing with in that youth team, do you recall any of those guys?
1: Um, yeah, funnily enough, my brother-in-law, Leo Dallas, was in that youth team. Yep. Um, so Leo was in that youth team. Ben Jarman um, was in the youth team. Ben Bartlett was playing at the time. Um yeah there was a, a few players there yeah, there's i mean yeah, very hard to think back yeah. to was yeah, I was only there for about 4 months but being the younger guy I probably wasn't as um as uh, close with any of those players yeah. early on
0: and and what about um did you because you'd been in the system at the Wolves a little while did you did you have sort of um, someone you looked up to in the senior squad and yeah. And that you sort of appreciated the way they play? And, and I guess I apologise to the listener that, again, I hadn't talked about Dez's position, which is predominantly being striker even yeah. at that age.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, there was a number of players I looked up to growing up uh, with the Wolves. And, you know, I think there, there wasn't one player that I necessarily focused on. But, yeah. you know, guys like um, Asala Mussey and Stuart Young... Um, obviously, Chippers when Chippers was in his prime, um, you know, and these were guys that that we just thought were gods. Um, yeah, you know, when Stuart Young come over and and just started banging in goals, and, and I guess he's the way he used to play. He was you know, very composed. Um, wasn't the most uh, he wasn't the quickest uh, by any means, but he was very intelligent. Um, had a great left foot. Um, Asala Musi was somebody probably similar to i guess the way i was he was a little bit um unorthodox in, in terms of his technique um <clears throat> but he worked hard he worked hard and he scored goals and um you know he knew how to find the back of the net and uh, he did his job for the team so yeah, you know, those sort of players there were the guys that i looked up to um during that period for sure
0: and and you said you had um, um four months and that, that's because at, at that point in time um And if you can take us through the process then, um, you were accepted into the AIS um, under a scholarship. So how did that sort of start um, formulating? Was it um, someone gives you a call or gives your parents a call or how did that occur?
1: So the process happens through the um, national titles. Um, I was selected to play for New South Wales. Um, Glenn Fontana was the coach. Um, I wasn't in the system per se. So at that time there was N-Swiss and, and all that sort of stuff and I was on, for a short period, what they called a part-time scholarship. Um, so I used to go up there and train every so often, um, whereas guys like Jake, uh, Lachlan, I think Kieran, um, they were on a full-time scholarship. So they were training there weekly and playing for, the, yeah. for N-Swiss in the National Youth League, whereas I stayed and, and I didn't make that... that um, that team. And I stayed and played with the Wolves and played in the 17s. Um, so it was a bit left field that Fonny, um, selected me in that team. Um, and when, when he come and spoke to me, he just said, you know, I need a target man. I need someone who can you know, hold the ball up and, and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, at that point, I, w- I probably still wasn't, um, convinced that I wanted to be a professional footballer. Yep. Um, I had some other things going on in my life in terms of, you know, I had some some other hobbies, um, yep. skateboarding and and water skiing and all that sort of stuff. And um, you know, what, the year before, uh, I missed a couple of camps because I wanted to go water skiing and yep. things like that. So, you know, I had a good year that year. We won the the grand final, and um, I think I finished leading goal scorer for the for the season, which was good and funny. Uh, gave me the call up. Um, I hadn't participated in any of the camps prior, so it was it was left field. But um, it just so happened that um, we had a a, a really good uh, competition yeah. um, tournament, and um, I think I ended up leading goal scorer of the of the, of the competition. And um, Steve O'Connor, who was head coach at the Institute of Sport, was there, and um, he came and spoke to me and asked if I'd be interested in a full time scholarship at the institute, so I was just right place right time and and I guess uh, you know finally threw me a bone and um, I took the opportunity and was fortunate enough to get get the gig at uh, the institute
0: and in terms of say um, I guess your mindset at the time, like you said you weren 't one hundred and ten percent focused on on football you were doing some other sort of skateboarding water skiing and the like so you you missed camps you know you you loved your football but not to the extent where you you did it all the time so did part of you sort of have to contemplate well this is a great opportunity but am i really up for it
1: yeah i think i think it was so it was around the time that that bonnie had called me um that i kind of made the decision that yeah this is what i need to focus on yeah um and to be fair, you know, the, the confidence that he instilled in me at that age. I remember a number of training sessions and, and pre, get pre-match get talks and, you know, half-time talks and, you know, he, he made me feel like I was invincible. Um, yeah. You know, and, and he's always been very good with, um, with a lot of youth players um, and that's when I really thought, OK, I've got a chance here. I can, you know... I understood that I wasn't technically the greatest, I understood that you know, there was a lot that I had to work on, um, but I, I accepted that and I, I, I accepted the challenge and I just thought well, what, a, what better place to do it than you know, in, in the best breeding ground in the country and under the best youth coaches in the country which was Ray Junner and Steve O'Connor at the time. So um, I made that decision when I, when I went to New South Wales with, with Fonny and um, you know, my focus was purely then on football.
0: And how do you um, sort of uh, put together the sort of two contrasts there in terms of you know yourself that you technically you you've, you seem to have been even at that age very aware of what you didn't have, but surely were you thinking as well that yes I've got something yes. I work hard and I'm I'm scoring goals so I'm doing something right so do you is that hard to, in your mind to sort of balance the two?
1: Yeah, at, at that age it is because you know that you're still growing and you're still learning to. I guess understand how your body works um, you know and, and I had to rely on I guess my my physical attributes and that was you know winning headers and scoring headers and um, you know I, I was quick um, you know so so there were certain things that I knew that I I could get away with um, you know and I might score two or three goals in a game but I'd probably miss five or six similar opportunities um, but one of the positives around that was that I was finding myself in the right position um and you know I had a coach once say to me all the time you know you may not be as technically gifted as others but you're you're much more street smart Um, so they're the things that I guess um, you know I had to try and balance and you know it's not easy to to acknowledge that you're not technically great um but in order to I guess progress you have to work on it um and in, in the environment that we had you know we The training sessions probably weren't as structured as what they should be, but, you know, when you've got to work on something, particularly your technical aspect of your game, you need to do that outside of a a typical training session because, you know, the training sessions aren't based around individuals, it's based around the team, and you you need to spend a lot of time on your own. So I guess it wasn't until I went to the Institute that I started to put a lot of time into my my technical development and, and, you know, over those 12 months, I, I just really developed a lot and that's when I started to understand my game a lot more.
0: And in terms of just that transition from a a life perspective, you know, moving away from home um, obviously I guess the parents your parents might have had sort of positive pros and cons about it, it's a great opportunity but you know, they'll miss you and and, and you might have been the same
1: Yeah, I mean being 16 um, you know, I was we, we have a very close family and it was a big move and you know it's only two and a half hours down the freeway but um, you know it 's still away from home and you're living in your own room and um, you know, but I guess the excitement of uh, of what was to come was enough to to convince me to go um, and mind you, I had a, a number of colleagues or players that were in our team that i that I knew and I felt comfortable being with so um, we we created a fantastic camaraderie down there. Um, and the experience that i had down in, at the institute of sport is something that you know i'll cherish forever particularly the the camaraderie with the with the players um the staff um and not just the the footballing side of things but you know there was guys like um todd carney was down there because he was playing with the with the raiders at the time and yeah. we spent a bit of time together and um, andrew Bogart was living in next door to us and Know, he used to spend a bit of time with us as well and um you know i was fortunate enough to spend some time with um Costa zoo and and his team when they were down there training doing some training camps and you know it was it was just a wonderful experience to to meet you know now some fantastic athletes and yeah, it was good
0: and and what about um i think people tend to forget that that you know i guess i've purely got a football or soccer focus but um Uh, the whole sort of institution is is around talented athletes in various sports so like you do like you just said you do mix with people from all different walks of life um within your own sport but other sports as well
1: yeah absolutely and and yeah this it's it's a really good um environment to be in because you know we'd have some time off and we'd be able to go down and watch the the basketballers train um you know some of the boxers um you know guys like billy dib used to go down there and train and Um, obviously Costa would go there and do his two week camps before he had his big fights coming up and um, you know you had all your Australian swimmers were always down there Um, so a lot of really good athletes but um, you know you really got to see how they um, I guess how they go about their daily routines and their training processes and um, you know you only need to look at Guys like Brad Newley and, and Andrew Bogut and uh, Paddy Mills and guys like that who, you know, who are now you know, superstars of the game um, and have been for a long, long period of time, um, and then yeah, even some of the boxers and stuff like that. So the, you know, being exposed to that at 16 years old was phenomenal. Yeah.
0: And and what about although um, it may have varied and, and there's different aspects to. To what you did at the AAS, um, could you take us through a sort of typical sort of week or sort of yeah. um, sort of routine of what, what you guys got up to?
1: Yeah, so we'd have, um, we'd have almost like rotating um, rosters and we would have obviously uh, team training sessions in that, that roster during the week. So most, most days would be at least a single session, um, sometimes double sessions. Um, we'd have gym sessions of the morning, 6am. Um, and then you'd have individualized sessions so they'd be specific to you, um, where you work on technique or finishing or you know, making runs or whatever it may be. So you know, we, with that, we would have uh, schooling uh, in there somewhere. so you know on a Monday morning you might go to a class uh, or two classes and then you'll come back. You might have a, an individual session with, uh, with Ray or, or rocks, or Steve O'Connor. Um, you'd finish a session. Go and have some lunch at the cafeteria. You know, get dressed. Go back to school. Have another couple of classes, and then you'd come back for the afternoon session with the team. Um, and that's pretty much how it went. We were playing in the National Youth League at the time, um, and obviously we'd we'd travel every second week because we're playing yeah. playing away. Um, and you know the, the lunch ladies would make our, our lunch, and Steve would drive the bus, and we'd we'd. Um, Always stop at the same place before we got to the ground and we 'd have our sandwiches and Rox would have his uh, team talk there and then and um, you know, he 'd say he 's famous just another day at the office boys <laughs> um, but yeah that's that 's pretty much how it was and we, we aside from just the training piece it was it was all the um, you know the sports science behind it yep. um, you know the the compulsory massages and and looking after your body and um, you know the dietary requirements and and everything that came which you know was was, was innovative at the time um but you know, very different so you know we started to eat foods that we thought were very bland um yeah. you know because we're used to having chicken schnitzels or pasta or yeah. you know whatever but um you know it was a a very professional uh environment to be involved in uh you know we had video sessions and and watch individual tapes of ourselves and our runs and where we could be and where we, where we should be or whatever. But it was just really, really advanced for what it was.
0: And do you think there um, should be a sort of, you know, uh, should should be a, a program that should be done all the time in soccer?
1: Absolutely. It's It, it was one of the worst things that, that happened in football in Australia was getting rid of the AIS. I know that there were some issues around funding, um, <clears throat> but, you know... It, History speaks for itself and when you look at the players that we produced uh, whilst the Institute was, was active uh, versus the players that we produce today um, it's, not a, it's no coincidence that, you know, we are struggling um, You know, 2016, I think um, World Cup team, I think there was 11 or 12 players that were playing in top tier in Europe um, If we look at our team today um, you know I wouldn't say that Scotland is top tier. I think it's a yeah. it's a good league, but um, you know, apart from Aaron Moy, uh, Matt Ryan, um, you know, there's not many other players that are playing in the top tier. Um, you know, a couple of guys are playing in Germany, but other than that, um, you know, back then, starting eleven was were superstars in the world, around the world. You know, um, playing for clubs like Liverpool and and, and Lazio and. Um, you know, obviously Lazarese was at Birmingham and, and Leeds United and Newcastle United so and the all these pro- types the program of players. the program's definitely got a place. The, and... the, the program... And, and that's, that's not even taking into consideration some of the players that Australia missed. Um, you know, there's a number of players that end up playing for Croatia and a number of other Simic countries, Siminic yeah. and stuff like that, who went through the system, um, who, who chose to go and play for a, a different country. But... Um, Yeah, these days, the whole system is, um, yeah, I think is is very different to what it used to be. And And
0: do you think, um, sorry to interrupt, do you think um, that, um, you know, and we'll talk about the rest of your career in this interview, but do you think um, that the stuff you learned there um, on the field and off the field and the camaraderie, but you can take it to other parts of your life and you still utilise it in in your, your vocation? these days now
1: absolutely yeah absolutely i think um you know i was fortunate to take a lot of what i learned from football um into my post football career and you know it's ha- it's a hard transition you know when you finish playing professional football and i finished at a young age um it's a hard transition to understand what you want to do with your life because you know at 19 20 21 you think you're invincible you think you're just going to be a professional footballer the rest of your life and and nothing else matters so you know I was fortunate enough to take those i guess the the foundations of of what I'd learned into uh, post career um because you know and, and I'll get to it a bit later but you know I I did go through a period when I came back from Italy um where I had I had a big ego and and that probably um, hurt me more than um, any of my injuries or anything like that. So, you know, I had to, again, I had to recognise that and and then understand, okay, why did I have that? Why was I portraying myself the way I was? Um, and then, you know, find a way to, I guess, overcome that. But the foundations of what we learnt whilst we were at the Institute of Sport were, you know, by and large, you know, priceless for. for not just football, but normal life outside of the game.
0: Yeah, well, I think um, you know what you said there was spot on, and yeah, it should be revisited, and I hope it does. In terms of, um, as part of that program, um, you then were part of the under 17s uh, Australian team. So talk about that experience in two thousand and, and um, three.
1: Yeah. yeah, so we um, we went to Finland for a couple of weeks. Um, I think there was a squad of. Uh, maybe thirty. Um and we spent two weeks over there, uh just to I guess climatise a little bit and we had a couple of friendlies and um and it was almost like a, a I guess a trial process as well. So you know Ange Posikoglu and Graham Arnold was the assistant at the time were um obviously coming up with their their squad number and um so we went to Finland and um you know that was a again a really good experience. Um being involved in the national team for the first time, um, I think we'd had a couple of camps prior to that, and then we got back from Finland, and <clears throat> it wasn't too long after that that they announced the uh, the World Cup squad, and um, you know fortunately for me I was I was named in that squad, and um, and so it was it was Jake, um, uh, who was my best mate, and and that was you know, really um, exciting for us to be. Uh, representing our country together and, and he was subsequently named captain which was which was awesome um, so you know we we got to really experience some good times together um, traveling together rooming together um, and made a lot of good friends through that process as well um, you know and then going into that World Cup environment was was just something that you know it's, it's hard to explain um, you know it's a albeit an under17s World Cup um I guess the organizers and, and the way it's set up, um, it's almost like it's a it's a real deal. Um, you know, you get police escorts at the games and um you know, it was it was just an unbelievable experience.
0: And do you think um like you said, being part of that AIS program, um, although you you're probably pinching yourself in some respects that because you are used to the I guess the preparation looking after yourself mentally physically the video sessions all that that it sort of like you said you you are a professional even at that, that young age
1: yeah absolutely um you know we were i was a paid professional at the institute we used to get 40 dollars a month um <laughs> I used to cover our bus trip to to Belconnen. um yeah i think i think you you essentially switch your mindset to being you're not a social or a, a a semi-professional footballer, you're a professional footballer now, and then going into the, the Australian setup, um, you know, it's all very similar. And the institute really sets you up for that, you know, and that's that's the goal is to create national team players. And um, you know, the the curriculum um, fit and and the the pathway fit, and you know, going into that on the Seventeen's World Cup was, uh, you know, we were we felt as though we were ready, and we had had spent a lot of time together. Um, so yeah it was it was something that I guess you know is will always stay in my mind um
0: and do you recall the the games themselves
1: yeah i do i do i um i i guess there's there's certain periods of my career that i i think about and 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 have blurry memories of um but there are other my moments that are that stand out really vividly, and um you know that that world Cup stood out and does stand out vividly um the first game we played Argentina and um, I was on the bench. I didn't play, and uh, we got beat. Um, you know, I th- technically Argentina that seventeen were phenomenal. Um, yeah. You know, we, <clears throat> we were competitive because of our, I guess, you know, the Australian nature is that we're competitive people and we're we're physical and and whatnot. But we were we were beaten two nil. Um, and the next game we played Nigeria. Um, I was named in the starting eleven and um I scored I scored the opener in I think the sixty-second second. Yeah. Um it was the second quickest goal in the World Cup behind Kanu, believe it or not, <laughs> who scored in like fifty-eight seconds. Um but you know that game there was was a funny game because you know the Nigerians were were physically phenomenal yeah. um at that age. You know they had a number of players like John Obi Mikel was playing. He was captain at the time. Um, Isaac Luke was there. I think he was at Manchester United. Um, uh, Isaac Promise, sorry. And um, you know they had a lot of a lot of good players. And and we went up one nil. And I remember uh, there was a period in the second half where a ball had been put through, and I was one on one with the keeper. The ball was bouncing, and I just lobbed it over his head. And it's it's bounced on the six yard six yard box and went over the crossbar and landed on top of the net, and you know it's one of those moments that I think about today and think if only that had gone, had gone in, in. Um, you know it could have changed the whole out or I guess the whole uh, result of the game and also where we ended up in that World Cup. So you know, we ended up getting beat two one. Um, it was a game that we we were well in it. Um, most of the game, although they were very, very physical, but you know it's it's disappointing because I look back at that one game and think, you know, that what could have happened, yeah. you know. And this is what 17 years on, 18 years on, um, so it was a really good experience, and you know I was a bit disappointed that the, the following game against uh, Costa Rica I was left out again. Um,
0: and does uh, sorry to interrupt there, but does Ange or Graham um, speak to you about? the reasons why or is it pretty much just uh, okay this is the squad and, and people deal with it
1: yeah no at the time um there wasn't any conversation as to why or you know who's in who's out and, and yep. why and why not um you just accept it and, yep. and, and I accepted it um but I was disappointed to not play in that game um particularly that I that I had uh, scored in the first game and, and in my mind played relatively well um but I remember after we got beat by Costa Rica, um, Graham Arnold had to had to leave early, and I was in my hotel room, and he came and knocked on my door and walked into my hotel room, and um, he actually said to me, "He said, Des, um, I just want to say um, I'm really proud of what you've achieved and uh, what you've done, and you know if I don't see you um, in a senior setup in the future, I'll be very disappointed because you know you.'" you're a credit to the to the shirt and um, your work ethic and everything is fantastic and I've got high hopes for you. And that that was enough for me to say, you know, someone believes in me and, yeah. um, you know, Ange gave me an opportunity to play and, and that in itself was, was good as well. And, you know, there's other players out there that um, deserved opportunities as well. So I, I don't um, hold any grudges at all around that. And, you know, I guess, um, you know, the... the subsequent uh, result of that was I was left out of the 20s uh, World Cup squad when Ange was coaching them again so you know maybe his opinion was was different to to, I guess Arnie's because as soon as Arnie took over um, I was back in the frame again particularly through the uh, Olympic qualifications and whatnot so I was playing every week so um, you know football's a matter of opinion And, and I think that Ange was back then um, and still is now um, you know a phenomenal coach phenomenal coach particularly um, you know he used to look beyond the curve you know he he was he was thinking you know well well above whatever everyone else was thinking and and everyone thought he was crazy um, but you know you see what he's done for Australian football here and then now what he's doing in, in, in Japan January. and um, you know he's he's one of a kind,
0: and 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 post that um, that World Cup for the 17th World Cup in Finland, um, you signed your per- first professional con contract with Empoli in Italy. So, talk us through that because I guess you know I'm a, I'm a bit older than you, but you know me growing up, um, you know watching SBS, Serie A, you know you used to. It sounds strange to some people that might be listening that are a bit younger, but you had to wait the week after to watch a bit of the highlights and a sort of match of the round, and, and Serie A was, was the best league. So mm-hmm. um, how did it come about, and, and what were you feeling?
1: Um, so funnily enough, uh, Vince Greller and Mark Bresciano's agent was at the game against Nigeria. Um, and he made mention to the club about this Aussie kid... Um, and then the club inquired, and um, I was contacted uh, by a gentleman who asked if I'd be interested in flying over to Templey, um, which I did.
0: Um, and did you like? Were you sort of saying to your mum and dad, "Well, Jesus, it's just crazy"? Or
1: well, at the time they hadn't offered me a contract. They asked me to go over and and have just a look for a at me. a look. Yeah, and um, and I played one trial game uh, with the team. Um, and I think I scored three goals or something in the trial game we played a Serie D side or something like that and and,
0: and Empley at the time were in Serie A in Serie A that first year
1: Um, so after that day um, they offered me a contract Um, obviously I was not 18 yet so I couldn't sign the contract Um, they flew my dad over um, and my dad come over and we went through some things negotiated obviously a, a, n- a number of things and um you know the club were just fantastic they were just you know, in terms of um being looked after they were phenomenal um and we we agreed to a, a three year contract uh at Empoli, signed the contract uh, which was to begin i believe uh in may um, somewhere along those lines in two thousand and three in two thousand and four yep. yeah and um yeah 2004 i think it was yeah and um so i had some time to come home and and spend some time back here which they didn't want me to do they wanted me to stay i think they were a bit concerned that i wouldn't return okay um but we gave them my word and and said that you know sign contract sign i'm, I'm coming back um so i came back and uh and i actually played three or four games with Bally, Bally Rangers
0: Yeah I wondered how that occurred because people would know my interactions and um, involvement with the club so um, that's how it happened but in terms of um, uh, when you're over there and your dad's over there, um, is there a part of you and and like you said he never pushed you but um, it must have been sort of a proud moment that you know your dad's over there um, he's helping you with this contract and um, you know, your heritage um, as well in terms of that Italian heritage as well to be sort of getting signed up in Serie A?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of people, particularly um, the ones that haven't been exposed to it, don't understand the reality of uh, professional football. Um, They think that it's all champagne and roses. Um, You know, you sign a, a deal with a Serie A club um, or any professional club in Europe. Um, you know, there's always problems and there's always hurdles. And, you know, when I first turned up, um, I turned up to Empoli train station and no-one was there to greet me. Um, I had to find my way to the to the office. I couldn't speak the language. Um, you know, and there was just a very strange environment. Um, you know, originally I had a, an agreement that, that they'd put me in my own apartment Um, and then I got there and lo and behold they put me in with a group of you know 14 or 15 other kids and I just immediately went no this is not going to happen because you know if I was going to be living on the other side of the world and focusing on my football that was part of the agreement Um, so they end up putting me back into a hotel and I stayed in a hotel for probably four to six months Um, and it was an apartment it was a hotel but it was an apartment um until i found my own place and um you know things are things are not always what it seems you know and um it's it was an eye opener training uh, you know at times training on um you know in minus five degrees sleet um you know the the pitch gets so sloppy and it's that cold that the, the mud turns solid hard um, you know, even playing games on gravel and things like that, and you know, people don't get to see that sort of thing. They just see the, the Sunday the games and, and the TV product. Um, so it's you know, it's not as as glamorous as what people m- first think. Um, my first professional contract was, um, I think, seventeen and a half thousand euro a year. Yep. Um, you know, which which is at the time it was like forty eight cents of the dollar, so let's call it thirty grand. Um, Australian dollars um, not a lot of money no. um, so you know you come back here and people think you know you've signed with the with a Serie A club and you know you, you're on the big bucks and all this sort of stuff and um, you know, that's not the case it's um, just
0: an opportunity that you're really absolutely being given so, absolutely. so what were you um, I guess when you get over there and, and these things sort of start to occur the apartment and then um, you know like you said the language so you're really on a steep learning curve in terms of okay you're in one of the biggest leagues but it's a big squad i guess language you've got to learn your way around a new city yeah um and learn how to i guess where do i shop um how do i eat you know i've got to cook for myself and all that sort of stuff and and even just i guess your your family network so was that a real challenge as well
1: um it was absolutely a challenge we one thing we were blessed with was uh, there was a number of restaurants in the city that uh, we were able to eat at um at the cost of the club so we could go and eat um breakfast lunch or dinner at any num- a number of restaurants um so we never had to cook which was great and um and you know we if we had family or colleagues or you know it was, yep. it was all covered by the club so that was you know i guess a really good thing um but you know going back it, it's i guess the whole culture thing was was a big shock for me. And although I've got an Italian background, I didn't speak the language. Yep. Um, I had you know the, the basics, but it was um, it was a challenge. And I had a, a partner with me um, for about three or four months at the start, yep. and which meant that every time I finished training, I'd come back, and myself and her would watch DVDs in English, and um, you know we'd talk in English, and there wasn't FaceTime and things like yep. that back then, and so we communicated always. In English and we spent our time together um, it wasn't until uh, she moved back to Australia and I was on my own um, that I really had to step outside of my comfort zone yep. and start to learn the language and socialize with my teammates and you know, because one thing that again people probably have spoken about but don't understand as much is you know being a foreigner going into uh, that environment you're taking somebody's job essentially yep. And you know, early days, they don't treat you very nice. Um, you're not welcome with open arms, particularly yep. by the players. So it takes a while for you to, um, or for them to warm to you um, yep. when they, until they know you and, and, and trust you. And um, you know, so things would get stolen from your bag and you know, all sorts of stuff. And it's a, I guess it's a, it's an experience in itself. Um, you know, and it wasn't until sort of once I got. Once I started playing regularly and scoring goals, and was, I guess, um, getting closer to some of the players and spending time with them yep. outside of football, um, and then started to build really good friendships with some of these guys who I still speak to today, um, where I, I earned a lot of respect. Um, you know, in that second year, um, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to. Um, I guess being the leadership team of the leadership group of the, of the Piramaveta team. And, um, we had a number of trialists come in, um, who, you know, would have money stolen from their bags or boots stolen and things like that. So they couldn't train. And, um, you know, one day I went into the, into the training ground and this American guy came up to me and said that he had his boots stolen and obviously couldn't train. Um, and because I'd been there and had respect to the players and whatnot, i Literally just, just stopped everything, everyone back in the change rooms and just said to the guys, we're not leaving here until these this, this kid's boots are back. Yep. So until he gets his, his gear back, you know, and, and I just sort of was very uh, direct with the guys as to how rude and disrespectful it is to treat people like that. And, um, you know, funnily enough, within half an hour, his boots turned up and, and we're able to go out and train. And the, the coach come in and said, what's going on? I told him we're not coming out until, you know, and he respected that, and um, yeah, I think I earned a bit of respect in in that environment, which was good. Um, and I think they thought that the Aussies were a little bit crazy. You know, they had um, you know Vinny and and uh, and Brush were there, and you know, there's a story about about Vince when he when he first went there that um, they they do a they do a, a run, and I did the same thing. I did this run. It te- it's like a testing, yep, and. Um, Anyway, so they do this run, and you got to do it at a particular pace, and anyway, at the end of it all, um, you know, normally people are, are shattered, they're gone, you know. And um, Vinny said, "Okay, I want to do it once more." You know, the guy says, "You crazy? Are you going to go again?" He says, "Yeah, I'll do it once more." So he did it again, and they're gone. Oh, these, these Aussies are crazy, you know. Um, so yeah, it, we had a bit of a, you know, Vince and and Mark, I guess, uh, had. a built a reputation for the australian culture and yep. the competitiveness um so they respected that and they knew that we were legitimate
0: but you, know. you still had to prove yourself obviously. absolutely
1: absolutely absolutely and um and all and all that came from um what I was able to do on the park when I was playing
0: so what about um that experience you know um Excuse my ignorance, but are you sort of with the youth team, or playing first team, or a bit of both, or how it how do, and and how do you get through sort of, the language barrier when a coach is sort of talking to you directly? Like, I don't know you might pick things up, but sometimes some things, I guess, uh, I guess, knowing the dialect is important.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of um, early on. There was a lot that I struggled with. Yeah. A lot of hand movements, a lot of hand gestures. Um, you know, understanding. Football term um, was probably the first lot of things that I picked up, yeah. um, but it didn't take too much. It didn't take too too long for for me to start speaking, reading, and writing the language once I was on my own. Yeah, um, yeah I was only young still, so eighteen, and you know you you're probably able to absorb a lot more at a young age. Um, so I I predominantly. Played and trained with the with the Primavera team. Yep. Um, I had a number of sessions with the first team, um, and ultimately we we played in a in a competition um, that was I think it was broken up in regions, yep. and we were we were quite strong. Um, so I had um, had a, a really good season the first season, um, and I scored a lot of. I think I finished leading goal scorer the first season. Um, and the second season, the club got relegated to Serie B, yep. um, and there was a player that had just retired um, and had taken over as uh, the Primavera coach um, called Alessandro Pane, and he played 550-odd games in Serie A. Um, and he went uh, to start his own coaching career, and, um, and he asked me to go with him, um, so I went and and he said, you'd be playing first-team football and um, and did just that. So I went and played under him. And,
0: was and where was that at?
1: That was at Coyopelli Capiano.
0: I had the name typed out, but I knew you'd pronounce it yeah. far better than me.
1: Um, so clubs now uh, defunct, so it doesn't exist anymore. Right. Um, it, was a, it was a strange place to be. Yep. Um, you know, I guess playing first-team football was good. Yep. And playing alongside some really good, talented players, um, you know, guys like Ilias Sapanis, who you know played for Olympiakos and things like that, um, was fantastic. And um, getting that, you know, at, at 18, 19, um, you know, regular first team football in was was great. Um, training under a coach that had played 550 games in Serie A and was very, very well respected, uh, went on to be, um, I think the. Uh, technical director of the Italian national team as well um, and youth development. But um, it was a really strange environment. Um, You know, I had obviously signed a new deal with Empoli um, and was earning more money at this stage. Um, This club didn't want to pay that much money. Um, There was an agreement in place. I went down to the club, went to sign the contract. The figures were different. Um, It was just a, a schmozzle come to an agreement, the club amply said, we'll pay the difference, um, you know, come the first payday, no money in the account, what's going on, and you know, it was a regular occurrence that there'd be two or three months go by without getting paid, and then when they do pay you, they're missing money. And
0: So and what do you, you, have you, had you moved then to where you originally were to be closer where this club No, I stayed
1: from? in the, so, so. The goalkeeper coach for Empoli, um, yeah. who had played at Juventus, he was quite well off and had some property, and he had a, uh, a block of units that were relatively new, yeah. and um, so I had a, an apartment there which was beautiful and it was it was a really really nice apartment and it was only half an hour away from from our training training ground, so I didn't have to move, which was good, um, but yeah, it was it was a challenge and you know I spent. Close to twelve months at this club, and um, did not enjoy it at all. It, it was, it was. I mean, I guess the football side of things was good, um, but from, I guess, understanding the dark side of football, yeah. um, you know, I've seen some some pretty crazy things during that time, and um, it really, I guess, uh, affected me in a way that I thought, you know, maybe dreams are better off to be left as dreams because, you know, I, I would, I would be. Getting bonuses when we get beat and things like that, and you mm. just think to yourself, there is something not, not quite right here. But um, you know, it was uh, it was an experience.
0: And um, so, at the end of that season, um, what then transpired?
1: So then, that season, um, I hadn't been paid for three months. Yep. Um, the coach Alessandro Pane offered to pay me out of his own pocket. Um, I obviously declined and said, "That's not the way it should be." Um, and I just said to the club, I'm, I'm going, I'm not staying. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up going back to Empoli and, um, obviously I was too old to play in the Primavera. So yeah. I, I started off, um, with the first team and then, um, I went away with the national team with Yoli Roos yeah. and we played in a three nations tournament in Vietnam. Um, and during that period, Rileau Vidmar was, uh, was the assistant coach, um, and he had asked me if I'd be interested in coming to Adelaide. And at that point, I, I was unsure as whether I wanted to come home or not. Yep. Um, but there was, a, there was a small period of about three months where my grandfather was ill. And um, I asked the club if I could come back on compassionate leave for three yep. months. And it just so happened to be that uh, Laurie McKinna rang me up and said, um, there's a, there's a six-week... Injury replacement at Central Coast because Adam Pawsnick had hurt his knee. Um, so of course I thought, great, it means I can stay fit and I'm close yeah. to home and be near the family, be near the family. And so I went there and um, trained with the team, met everybody, and first game was up in Brisbane, I believe, and went up to Brisbane, had all my my stuff ready, and it was literally to the point where we were in the change rooms and I had my bag ready, and then. I think uh, one of the staff members came in and said, "Oh, your clearance hasn't gone through yet. Can't play." I said, "Okay, no problem." So missed out on playing that game. Um, but then the subsequent w- the subsequent week, uh, Quazi's scan had come back and it wasn't as bad as first thought, um, which meant that he was only out for two weeks. Um, so that meant that in the first year of the A League. Um, if you signed an injury replacement player and that player came back the other you you can't play but because I'd signed a contract I was still getting paid so I had to just continue training with the team um, and collect my money and um, and and that was it so
0: it was that tough mentally to know that you know through well it was good fortune for I guess Adam that he got better but you, um, no, you, you you wanted to I guess be there and, and do something
1: I don't think so I think um, I think if anything it really um. it really took me back to where and why I wanted to play the game yep. the camaraderie they had in that squad that year was probably one of the best environments I've been around and I was fortunate because they ended up continuing on through the through the finals and I got to stay all the way through, and and it was just an unbelievable experience for me, um, you know. And I made some really good friends uh, through that process. But <clears throat> I fell in love with the game again yep. in that period
0: because of what had happened in Italy. The season before, and we missed no payments.
1: You know, and it was just a it was just what the doctor ordered. You know, to go to a club like that with somebody in charge like Laurie, who I have enormous respect for. Um, as a coach and an individual um, you know it was just so soothing to the soul and, and the whole process was was great, actually <laughs> there's a funny story because I was um, still living at home and I was travelling up to training every morning, I was driving up to the central coast and
0: it's a fair um, hike.
1: <laughs> it was a fair hike and uh, you know we'd have I'd, you know, 9 o'clock starts I'd be leaving at early hours in the morning and, and uh, one day Laurie pulled me aside and he says oh mate what's going on like you you've been going out on benders or what you know you you look like you're you're shattered and I said what do you mean he says you know you turn up here you look like you're a mess and I said "I, oh, I'm tired I'm getting up at you know five thirty to drive up here and and he goes what do you mean and he didn't know I was living in Wollongong he, he and he just laughed and he goes far out he goes I thought you were on the piss every night and I said no that's not the case so I ended up moving in with um Wayne O'Sullivan for a little bit and um and, uh, yeah, that was really good. It was good times.
0: So um, from there, um, you know, you then didn't play any games. And then um, can you talk a bit about, um, before you talk about Adelaide United and how that came about, um, about the Olympic qualifications?
1: Yeah, so we had, um, obviously, went through the process of the Olympic qualifications, um, had a number of games that we had played, um, spent a lot, had a lot of preparation Uh, through that time which was good um and the back end of it was during my time at Adelaide when I signed with Adelaide so the back end of the qualification process was was then um and we had our last game at uh Blue Tongue Stadium um we had to win to progress um I think we played Oman from memory yeah and um and we ended up winning um and progressed through to the uh to the the big dance and it was unfortunate that um you know i had some injury problems that first year and and had an operation and you know i played him in a lot of the games um prior to that and when i came back from my injury i wasn't match fit um i wasn't confident in i guess i wasn't i just wasn't where i need to be at uh, physically um which meant that I missed the what the the, the Olympics, um, which you know to a degree was was a bit of a um, a dent in my um, I guess my demeanor. Um, yeah. I think I think it really hurt the fact that
0: because um, it's a bit different, I guess like. Um it's not just a sort of World Cup, in a sense it is, but it's the Olympics as well.
1: Absolutely, and it was something that, you know, I, I was really, really focused on at the time, um, and then, you know, some things went on um, whilst I was at Adelaide that sort of, you know, hindered my, um, I guess, my progression, and and obviously, uh you know the rest is, is history, but um, it was a fantastic experience anyway.
0: And, and in terms of Adelaide, um, was it an easy decision after what had happened in um, um, Italy? And then, like you said, you were reinvigorated by a Central Coast. That, so yeah, so I had Viddy approached you they um, approach to, to come. To yeah,
1: Adelaide? well, Viddy, I think, had spoken to Cosmina, um, and Cosy asked me to fly out and. I went out there and he picked me up from the airport and showed me around and um, I didn't actually have to train or trial or anything. He just wanted to show me the city and yep. show me their setup and um, you know put a lot of uh, time and effort into me and and treated me um, you know really really well. And then they offered me a, a contract which we had negotiated uh, back and forth and and then um, Central Coast uh, come back and said look they wanted to offer me a, a contract as well. Um and I think at the time they there was uh, there was it was a matter of i can't even remember the difference in yep. in the finances or what whatever it was, but I just felt like Adelaide was the right place to go yep. um I felt like Cosmina and Viddy were the right people to i guess take me and and put me in a position where i can i guess pro- not just progress but 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 play regularly and and get back, and, to, where and get back to, to where I wanted to be. Um, so I was spending time in Adelaide. It was an, e- an easy decision. Um, you know, I signed signed with Adelaide and um, and fell in love with the city. Yep. Um, and you know the the coach, you know, Cosie was and is you know a very straight up because he has kind a of,
0: public uh, perception about him that. But how did you find him personally? Like yeah, picking you up from the airport says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: his public perception is very different to him as a person. Yep. Um, you know, particularly in a, in a training environment, um, you know, he he puts on fantastic training sessions. Um, you know, he's a he's a thinker. Yep. Um, you know, he's he's that passionate. He you know, obviously wears his heart on his sleeve, as, as we've seen. Um, but also, you know, he he taught me... I probably learnt more off Cozzy, uh as a person, yeah. me individually, than you know, I than I had off anyone else. But I didn't realise it until two yeah. or three years down the track. Um, you know, he'd say things to me and, and with that ego that I had because I thought that, you know, coming from Europe and yeah. I'd already represented, you know, Australia under-17 level and Ollie Roos and... I'd been an employee, and, um, you know, I, I turned up with a, with an ego. Okay. Um, and he seen it very quickly, uh, and, you know, wanted to assure me that it wasn't welcome in, in his environment. And, um, obviously, you know, when you're that age, you probably don't want to acknowledge that you've got an ego. Um, so, you know, there was some, we had some heated discussions, um, he didn't hold a grudge. Yep. You know, he, he would he would always ensure that the players' welfare was first and foremost, yep. um, and that we were. He was trying to get the best out of each and every one of us, um, so it was it was a good experience. And it, I guess um, you know when when I when he left Adelaide um, and went to Sydney, and, and then consequently took me to Sydney as well, um, just showed that you know he had a lot of belief in me as, as a player, which was you know, encouraging.
0: And what about on the field with Adelaide? Um, how did you think you, you fared there? Like you said, you had some injuries and whatnot.
1: Yeah. So the first year was, um, the first year was, was tough. I, um, I had some injuries. I had an operation during pre-season. Um, I was out for a period of time. And uh, when I came back to uh, full training, um, I was starting to feel fit again and healthy. And, and we were playing a game against Perth Glory at home. And on the Friday afternoon, um, we are playing a Saturday afternoon game, on the Friday afternoon we had a session, just a light session, and Cozzy said to me, Des, I'm going to leave you out one more week, yep. because I want you to be 100%, so have a rest for the weekend and you know, you'll know you be in the squad next week. And um, I had a cousin live, living with me at the time, and uh, I rang him up after training, it was about five o'clock, and I rang him up and said, I'm, I'm not playing tomorrow, so let's go out so we went out and um I think uh, I think we both stumbled in about five o'clock in the morning Mm. and uh eight o'clock the phone rings and it was Cozzy and he said hey Des he said um I've had a think about it I'm gonna I'm gonna play you 20-25 minutes tonight and my heart just stopped skipped a beat and um so (laughs) I I jumped out of bed and I, I didn't know what to do so I got my cousin to go to the chemist and get me some Barocca and waters and bananas and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, as you can imagine, I was hung over. And
0: yep.
1: so I just tried to sleep as much of it off as I could and drink as much fluids as I could. Um, and sure, surely enough, um, you know, I could feel how heavy my legs were during the warm-up. And uh, I think I was on for about three minutes and I tore, I tore my left hammy. Yep. I could just feel a pinch. and um, And I was too embarrassed to admit it and then yeah. ross alawisi put a, a corner in and i think the keeper thumbled it so i've lent it out with my right hammy and my, my right leg and then i've torn my, my right hammy so um the whistle went i think we ended up winning the game but we went into the change rooms and um i'm hobbling over and i was, I was pieces and um the physios turned around to cosy and said oh he's Torn both his hamstrings. <laughs> I said, "It's hard enough to do one; let alone both." And, um, and that was yeah, that was pretty much the start of a, a spiralling effect uh, for that first season. So, I think I played twenty three minutes that first season. Um,
0: did um, anyone ever sort of cotton on to what had happened, or because it was just yourself and the co- and your cousin, it was okay? In that no, sense? nobody
1: knew. Nobody knew that that had happened. Um, I did actually tell Cosy couple of years ago when we were out we went out and um I told him the story <laughs> um she thought was hilarious but um no nah, I mean these are just things that yeah. you know I guess when you're young and uh, maybe I should have been honest and said look because he you know he told me I wasn't playing and I've been out drinking all night or something like that but you know I was probably concerned that about my position and it would leave a bad taste. So I thought I'd be able to get away with it if I'm only playing fifteen, twenty minutes. You know, I'd be able to get away with it. But um, you know, and that so that kind of that that was my first year. My first yeah. year was full of uh, just roller coasters, ups and downs. You know, I'd feel healthy again, and then something else would go wrong, and a lot of soft tissue damage, and and just couldn't get my body right. And then the second year come around, and it was very different. The second year, um, obviously, Cosie um, had lost his his job after the grand final and yep. the debacle of uh, of our six nil defeat in the grand final. Um, Vidi took over, and you know, surprisingly, I played um, a lot more football under Vidi uh, than I did under Cosie. Um, but I never felt as though I was. Uh, valued in a sense from from Vidi, um and maybe some of that had to do with the way that i conducted myself at times um, you know and he was it was his first senior coaching role so it was new to him as well um but you know we i played in two champions league um campaigns and i believe i played in just about every game of, of both those campaigns and that second year, we obviously made the uh, the final, um, and I'd left, I think before the um, uh, before the quarterfinals, um, but you know that was a phenomenal phenomenal experience playing in those two Champions. And Leagues. so,
0: uh, was it? What was the uh, sort of the final sort of reasons for for your departure in that sense?
1: Um, well. It was, it was a bit funny because I'd had a phone call from um, that second year I was, I was playing a bit and albeit I hadn't scored, I'd only scored one goal. Um, we played Brisbane Raw um, and Frank Farina rang me at the time and, and he had a number of players that were departing and he, and he asked if I'd be interested in going to, to Brisbane and um you know, obviously, I hadn't. I'd spoken to the club, to Adelaide, and and they said, no, we want to wait until the end of the season before yep. we make any decisions. And um, lo and behold, I had a contract um, offer from from Brisbane, um, and I verbally accepted the contract offer. It was a yep. two year contract. Um, so something came out in the papers, and I thought I'd better go and tell Vidi. And I went and spoke to Viddy and said, look, I've accepted a. Contract with Brisbane, and um, in the space of about two weeks, their CEO came out and said um, no contract had been signed and um, they'd signed Sergio Van Dyke. Um, So obviously, I was left with nothing at this point. Um, So I went back to Vidi with my tail between my legs and said, You know, there's been a bit of a a, a stuff up. and of course, you know, my time there was done, so um, yeah, he advised me that he wouldn't be keeping me on, which was yeah. um, understandable based on my, I guess, my performances and my statistics. Um, and that I had to stay through the Asian Champions League campaign because they needed cattle. Um, so I, I honoured that and I did what I was asked to do and... At the end of it, I moved on.
0: And in terms of uh, the playing group, um, like it's a professional environment. Um, people are sort of, I guess, in and out of the squad and sometimes don't stay uh, at the club. So uh, amongst the playing group, did you feel that um, you had the respect there and, and it was a good camaraderie as well? Yeah, I had a
1: lot of close friends there, so there was no issue with that. Um, you know, I still turn up to training every day with the right attitude, I believed. Um, yeah there were some times where I was probably down and out yep. mentally and physically but but um yeah it was a challenge knowing that you're not going to be there at yeah. the time so um yeah, but I had good camaraderie with with the with the team and um and uh yeah it was it was tough leaving uh, such a good group of players
0: and so uh, like you said you had that that chance at brisbane, but um that it sort of Gone away. So, where did you go next?
1: Um, I had, there was a couple of opportunities. Um, obviously, back to Italy was was an opportunity. Yep. Um, I also had an opportunity to go to uh, Germany, um, and for for reasons um, that I know now it was more around my anxiety at that time. Um, you know, I just didn't feel like I wanted to be a professional footballer. Um, so I came back to Wollongong. I wanted to be close to my family, and um, and I, I played with the Wolves. Yep. And um, I think I played seven or eight games with the Wolves, and we were doing really well um, that that year. Um, they eventually went on to win the grand final, I believe, uh, that year. And um, about six games in, Cosy rang me and they asked me to go and join Sydney, and I probably did it reluctantly. Um, my I wasn't. I wasn't. My head wasn't there, yep. um, and it wasn't something that I was overly um, passionate about. But yeah, I wanted to be back in that professional environment again, and um, that's, that's all I knew. I didn't know anything any different, so I went back up there and um, and started the season with uh, with Sydney.
0: And in terms of those times, and, and it sort of occurred in Adelaide, and and um, I must uh, sort of, I definitely admire you and and in terms of speaking out about, you know, what you've gone through and you've done it a, a few times publicly um, and in the media and, and probably the last two or three years, I guess it's become more of the norm, but that's because of people like yourself and others in the last several years that have done that. So how did you sort of become aware of it? Like, I know you've spoken about some incidents that had happened, but um, how did, when did you know to say, well, I've got to, I've got to deal with this?
1: Yeah, I think, I think early on um, I had a lot of physical symptoms that I didn't know, well, I didn't understand why yeah. I had them. Um, you know, it all started the uh, day before we played Sydney FC at um, Adelaide Oval and I was at a barbecue at my girlfriend's place and I had this huge um, hot flush and then massive heart palpitations. So I rang the club doctor and was rushed to hospital and... They put me on all these monitors and did an ECG and they sent me home and said I was fine and I knew my body and I said I'm not fine and yep. you know I couldn't sleep, I couldn't you know so um, I ended up back in hospital the next day, obviously didn't play the game um, and I had uh, uh, some scans done on my heart, and, um, I had to wear a halter monitor for 24 hours and um, all these results kept coming back clear. Um, Mind you, at this point, nobody ever spoke about anxiety. Um, so, for a period there, everyone was telling me that I was fine, yeah. and the tests were coming back that I was fine. But, but I didn't he, feel he, fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I had this I had this awful fear of uh, having a heart attack. Um, I couldn't I couldn't go to bed and. Close my eyes you're in worried the dark.
0: About what would happen in your okay. sleep? And so
1: I would, I would have to lay on the lounge and watch TV, um, and literally until I fell asleep, without remembering. Um, and then <clears throat> it just got to a point where it started to, I guess, um, interfere with my my daily work. So you know, I'd I'd, I'd have a really bad sleep at night, um, wake up, hot sweats, um, you know, pins pins and needles in my hands. Um, you know, feel off in the belly, heart palpitations, heart skipping beats, dizziness, uh, cloudiness. So you know, I felt like I was detached all the time. And then I'd walk into the training pitch and expect to be, you know, at my pinnacle or at my peak yeah. uh, for for an hour and a half whilst we training. You couldn't. Um, so I used. To, so when it got to a point that it started to interfere, and I was convinced that I was going to have a heart attack or something was going to yep. go wrong. Um, I started to fake injuries and say that I had problems, and particularly when we travelled because I, I had a fear of flying. Yep. Um, so I used to, you know, I would, I would use a, a, an injury that I had previously had, and um, and say, yeah, you know, it's flared up again, and and whatnot, and you know, I, I spent a lot of time that last period. I spent a lot of time inside my apartment, um, pretty much alone. And and I really struggled, and um, you know, I I didn't ever come across the word anxiety. Um, the club psychologist at the time had spoken about depression yep. uh, to me, and I was absolutely convinced that that wasn't the case. I said, yep. I've got nothing to be depressed about. I'm not yeah. I'm not down. I'm I don't feel down. I don't feel you know I'm it's got nothing to do these are more about my physical symptoms and i believe there's something wrong with me yeah. i was convinced there was something wrong with me and um you know I got to the point where actually went and spoke to uh, aurelio um during a recovery session and i asked him and i said to him viddy i, I just need to go home i don't feel right um you know mentally and physically um, there's something wrong with me and i just want to be home with my family and um at the time, I think uh, because it, you know, there was a stigma around mental health and mm. it probably wasn't recognised as it is today. But um, you know, his response was that we need we need cattle for the Champions League, and um, he needed me to stay around. And um, you know, I, I don't I don't uh, hold any grudges against him for that. I it's just
0: a point in time where. The education. Yeah, the I look back and I there. feel
1: sorry that, that he may not have been able to understand that. Um, and mind you, I probably wouldn't have either mm. back then. Um, but, you know, now that I've gone through it and I have children and, and, and I understand it and I'm, I'm happy to speak about it. Um, you know, I think one of the best things that someone can do when people struggle with anxiety is... Um, is give them the um, uh, the ability to, to talk about it and give them the ability to, to put themselves in a comfortable place. And if that yeah. means going home or... And, you know, we've seen it with, with some high-profile high athletes where they, they just spend two or three months away from the game and go back with their family and, you know, whatever it may be. I think Buddy Franklin did it um, yeah. for a little bit. Um, Darius Boyd, um, you know, and... At that time, I think, had I or had somebody have of, of, um, diagnosed me with anxiety earlier on, um, things may have been different, but you know, it, it took me a good three years to understand what I had yep. and unfortunately it came through um, the passing of a family member who was only 12 years old at the time. It was Michael's daughter and um, he, he gave me a book because he recognised some similar signs in me and he gave me this book that was called Panic Away and, um, and I remember reading it. I was actually here at my mother-in-law's place upstairs and I remember reading the book. Um, as soon as I started reading it, I could not put it down and I read it from front to back and I put it down and my wife um, or fiancé at the time was with me and I just broke down and I was like, wow, that was me, I've got anxiety. Um, and that was the moment that I accepted it and I became obsessed with it. Yep. Uh, I became obsessed with what is it? How does it work? Why does it do what it does to your body? How do you deal with the physical symptoms? Uh, you know, all the different things. And you know, it wasn't until I understood exactly what it was, um, that I was, I was able to accept it and say, okay, this is not going to kill me. Um, you know, so it was a, it was a blessing an absolute blessing that i was able to i guess accept it yep. um, you know on the other on the, on the other hand it's sad that it, it took that long and and 3 years for a young kid to, to go through that is 3 years too long but people have been going through it for 20 30 40 yeah. 50 years and have never been able to address it because they've never had the support network or or anything so you know it's a shame that that's taken so long for something like, um, you know, mental illness to become a, a, a talking point. Um, I was fortunate enough to do a little bit with Beyond Blue as an ambassador um, to launch the the Big Blue with uh, Sydney and Melbourne, um, Sydney FC and Melbourne Victory. Um, and I did a little bit with the PFA. And, you know, the, the, the disappointing thing about all of this is, um, you know, I've come out a number of times publicly and and openly about anxiety and and my struggles with it um and you know often you know I often only get a phone call when there's something relating to mental illness and um you know you you get nothing in return um not that I expect anything in return but um you know it's like when you're outside the circle um you know you're outside the circle and that's the same with with football. You know, you have you have friends during football, and you, you make relationships. And um, you know, someone like Jacob Timpano, who we became very close at ten years old, and um, you know, he was the best man at my wedding, and um, you know, we we lived very similar lives, and we remain best friends to today. Um, there is other players that I played with that were very very close um, throughout careers and you know even today um you know there's a couple that that I texted uh, last week when I was in town and um you know you can you can see that they've seen the message but they don't bother writing back and things like that and, and you really understand um people's agendas and, and who they who they really are you know I think I believe rela- relationships are real and I try and stay in touch with as many people as I can particularly the ones that I was closest with um and I treat them real, whether and I don't care whether they're now cleaning what toilets do, or, yeah. or whether they're playing for, you know, uh, Brighton and Ho- High, Brighton and Hove Albion, whatever it is. Um, you know, I think in sport you come across a lot of different people, um, and the, you know their true true colours really come out um, in
0: testing times or during testing times and um i guess uh you know it's it's always a difficult situation but you would um always always encourage people to a sort out a, a family member or a friend um if they have these sort of feelings or or even the the sort of beyond blue or lifeline hotlines if if people uh, don't have someone close that they can talk to
1: yeah look i think you know it's a, it's it's a difficult one right because you know you you can you can go to a family family member or you can go to a friend and if they don't understand it um, you know it's, uh, they can they could potentially give you the wrong answer that you're yep. looking for um, you know my experience is that you know the best thing to do is is to seek help professionally yep. um, and and for people to understand that there is no shame in in speaking about yeah, the definitely. way that they feel Um you know we are human we have emotions and um you know it's it's okay to be um unsure of what's going on in your mind or or your physical symptoms and you know but until you speak to somebody and and start the process of um of assistance um i know because i went through it it will just snowball and the earlier that you start to talk to people um you know the the quicker it, it can be addressed because you know it's, it's incredible, the statistics, um, and it's only going to continue to grow, the amount of people that suffer from anxiety. But, you know, suicide and depression, um, you know, these, these mental, mental health issues are only be, going to become worse. The way that society is these days with, with social media and you know, lack of interaction and, um, you know, this, this idea that, you know, we uh, live our life based on the amount of likes we get on social media or um, or we are constantly looking for confirmation through positive comments yeah. and, and things like that, um, you know, it's quite sad. And um, you know, until we re- remove that layer and, and allow people to seek help um, and get the right help and understand it, um, you know, I think it's really important that someone who starts to feel or or think in a particular way that they know is not the norm yep.
0: um that they seek help oh, well I, like you I said you're spot on with that and encourage anyone to do that in, in terms of i guess you know in one way at that point in time you know you spoke to vidmar and you said well i need to be home so i guess in one way you didn't know what was happening but in one way you knew you had to be at home and and i guess you know In a a simpler sense, even though it's a complex um, issue, but you went back to the Wolves because, and you probably felt better with yourself mentally and physically and and played some decent football when you did come back. And I guess being around family did help you.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, when I got back home, my focus wasn't football anymore, my focus was my health. Um, And, you know, not surprisingly to people who understand it, I, I had that many tests done. Um, and everything just come back clear and any any minor little issue, you know, um, they'd say, oh, actually, you know, you've got hell tobacco in your stomach and, uh, oh, that's what it was, you know, and then I'd, I'd feel good for a few days and, you know, but, but you're right, going back to the Wolves, an environment that was special to me, um, teammates that I know and knew well, um, you know, and, of course, uh, I was training uh, at a higher intensity and playing at a higher level, Um so I was able to come back here and contribute, um, you know, and score a number of goals, and um, you know I really enjoyed my time here uh, when I came back, and you know I think ultimately I started to think about life beyond football, yep. um, you know, and it was important that I did that because you know my mind was made up that you know I would I would leave the game of professional sport or professional football. Um, and and find a new avenue in life, and um, that's probably probably where it started. And, and why when I went to Sydney, um, you know, my my mind wasn't in it. I I remember we played Perth Glory at um, at Allianz, and we we're in a tunnel after the game, and and Cozy pulled me aside and said, Des, I need you to tell me if you want to be here. Yep. Um, you know, If you want to be here, I'll support you. Yep. But if you don't want to be here, you've got to let me know. Um, and I said, Cosby, I don't want to be here. And I walked out that day. and I never stepped foot in a professional environment again. Um, and that was, that was tough. It was tough because I was ashamed of what... Um, or I was worried about how my father would react. Um, I was worried about how my friends would react um you know by this stage I was doing a lot of things for everyone else but not myself
0: yep
1: and that one moment gave me an opportunity to do something for myself and um you know I came home um and I walked home I, mean, I walked into the house and uh, my mum had made me my favorite meal which was uh, chicken schnitzel at the time and <laughs> I sat down and told mum and dad that I'm not going to be a professional footballer anymore and um the best thing that could have happened was both of them telling me that they don't care what I do them I'm their child and they'll support me with whatever I need and um you know it's a it's a it's a funny thing the things that you can muster up in your mind yeah um all these different scenarios that went through my head around um you know I'm this young kid who's um you know playing professional football and um you know, I'm going to throw it all away because I've had, you know, one minor hiccup. Um, there's a lot of scenarios that goes around, you, th- you know, what are my parents going to say? What are my friends going to say? You know, and yeah, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Um, but I just, I just made a decision and I, and I went with it.
0: And, um, you know, uh, being here briefly for the time today and, and, you know, during this interview, seeing your family come in, it. it it uh, obviously was the right decision for for those special reasons but going back to that part in the tunnel um it, it seems to me that there was um you know Cosmina had a lot of respect for you um obviously from a footballing sense he was asking you but maybe he was asking you personally as well so there was it was nice that both of you were honest with each other
1: yeah absolutely i think um you know i know that i frustrated cosie a lot um because he had, you know, high hopes um, and he saw a lot in me. Um, and I, I probably feel guilty at times. I was never able to repay him, um, the, the faith that he had in me. Um, but absolutely, uh, he showed me the respect that I probably hadn't been shown anywhere else to say, listen, um, you either want to be here or you don't, and um, I'll support you if you do, but if you don't, I can't support you. Um you know, so it was a special moment, I guess, reflecting back, yeah. um, and that's why I say that, you know, I learned a lot about me as an individual from Cosy than I did off anyone else, and that's probably why um, I was able to scrap that ego um, and and find a lot of humility in myself, and you know that that wasn't an easy thing to do, but it became the catalyst of, uh, I guess, my success in. In business, um, is the fact that I'm I'm okay with humility, and I'm okay to say um, I don't know, or you know, I need help, or put my hand up, or whatever it may be. Um, So, yeah, there's a big, big difference in personality between where I was uh, then and where I am now. Um, Which is, in my mind, I think um, really important that I went through that. Yeah. and was able to experience that, to, to then take that on to, to where I am today.
0: And in terms of uh, the football, you know, um, we'll talk briefly about i um, have taken up a lot of your time and, and appreciate yourself and, and, and your in-laws and your wife. Um, in terms of you got to play a couple of years at Dandaloo in the local Lula or Premier League um, and you got to play with your brother. Um, how did you find that?
1: Um, it, was, it was a... a Odd experience, I guess, um, coming back to the Premier League, and I guess earning ridiculous amounts of money to play in in the Premier League. Um, look, I I'd, I probably wouldn't say I overly enjoyed my time at Dandaloo. Um, you know, we were we were the pinnacle of the competition, um, and you know, it was it was a no brainer that the the club with the money that they spent would have the best team. Um, you know, it was it was great to be able to play uh, play with my brother, um, my younger brother. Um, it was also good that I got to, I guess, reconnect with some some old teammates and friends, um, guys like Noel Spencer, Alvin Checkley. Um, you know, there's a number of players that I've played with in the past. Um, Steve Labert was playing there as well. Um, and that was nice. Um, but I probably enjoyed... My time more so when I moved on and uh, went and played for for Noel at, at Dapto. Yep. Um, Noel and Jasper were, were coaching at Dapto and you know we, we missed out in the finals. But I you know, probably enjoyed that period more so than I did when I was at Dandaloo, yep. because it wasn't a club that you know threw a lot of money around and, and we were sort of you know really working hard to to, to be competitive. Um, and then obviously Tarawana, and I had a bit of. of of an involvement at Tarawana, um, which ultimately, um, you know, that that club in itself is just one of a kind. I think yep. they're a fantastic club, yeah, no, fantastic very, people, very good club. So, um, you know, that's they're the are times where I enjoyed um, being involved, and but you know, I guess by that stage, um, you know, my my ambition to play football had probably dwindled away and diminished. Yep. I was more focused on um, another career, and um, you know, obviously starting a family, and 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 then um, more so down the track, my uh, my golf game.
0: And in terms of um, you know, you did a bit of coaching there with Fernhill. Um, uh, how did you how did you enjoy that sort of foray into the coaching?
1: Yeah, look, I, I enjoyed it. I think um, it's difficult at uh, any, uh, I guess, at Premier League level. Um, when you come or when you have an intensity um, that's just in your DNA, um, you know you, clubs like Fernial have a lot of volunteers and I oh, absolutely respect um, the people that are involved in any club locally that volunteer their time and effort and, and whatnot. but you know it 's difficult as well because they have opinions that aren't um, informed and um, you know. You, you, you try and uh, instil a particular discipline in the, in the environment or you try and uh, manage a particular way and, um, you know, one of the kids complains to one of the board members and the board member's are friends with their dads and, you know, so, it, look, I enjoyed my first year at Fernhill thoroughly because, you know, I was there with Julio and hall was, was phenomenal and we're great friends um, and, you know, Craig Armour, Spider, um, is... A phenomenal person and, yep. and great club man and and, and really really good but um, you know there was a few changes the next year and um, when pools was uh, asked to move on I think I um, I moved on as well at the same time and um, and that was that but then I ended up uh, coaching again with uh, with Jake when we took over the wolves
0: yeah how did you find that because like you've said even in this interview and he said it himself he's has got a, a very a very deep friendship, and yeah. so to sort of combine where you've played to then coach with each other—that <laughs> must be special as well.
1: Yeah, it, it was—it was great. You know, when Jake asked me to um, to be the assistant, uh, I think we took over, and the team had nine points at the halfway mark. Um, so we didn't really know what we we're getting ourselves into. Um, and people who know us and know us well know that me and Jake are completely polar opposites in terms yeah. of personality. Um, and it just we just worked really well together, um, you know. Probably because of the fact that um, you know if he's got an opinion, um, he'll will, he'll will make it very clear. Yep. Um, and on the flip side, if I've got an opinion, I'll make it very clear. But ultimately, um, you know, being as close as we are, I respected and do respect that. He's the decision maker, and and he makes the call. Um, so we, we just worked really well together, um, and we went on a superb run that year. And I think we, I don't, I'm not sure we lost the game for the rest of the year. And we ended up making the finals. And, um, you know, it was a it was a an experience for me that I needed because I got these these sensations. Um, the same ones that I got when I was playing you know the adrenaline um you know the the just the um I guess the 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 pins and needles and the goosebumps and you know that was phenomenal and it was just a shame that I I couldn't continue due to work commitments but um but loved every minute of it and and forever thankful that I was able to be involved
0: well like I said I I really uh, respect yourself and your family's time for allowing me into your home um It's been a wonderful conversation and um, I really appreciate your time. Um, I think uh, we've spoken about a lot and, um, you know, it appears to me that you're into a wonderful part of your life. Um, May that continue. And um, Des, thank you very much for your time.
1: No problem. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks, mate. It is here where we end episode 33 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. As stated in my introduction, I think Dez is a wonderful man and I am grateful that he could share his journey. I sincerely appreciate and respect the time given by Dez and his family. As always, thank you for listening and downloading this podcast. I am your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.